Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. It's great to be with you today. Michael, it's great to see you again. It is great to see you, as always. We are at uh, episode number 12 in the Surfing for God series. Today it's titled, Less is More. Michael, the title of the chapter in Surfing for God and this podcast episode, Less is More, is actually pretty counterintuitive. How does someone overcome an addiction through less and not more? I mean, isn't the reason we're still addicted is because we're not trying hard enough? Yeah, precisely. And that's why I named this chapter what I did, Less is More, because most of our approaches uh, are with pornography and sex addiction. I need to double up my efforts. I need to get more accountability. I need to pray more. Uh, I need to read more books, go to more meetings, etc. And all of those things in and of themselves are good, but none of them without addressing the deeper issues will lead to real freedom and healing. So, you know, the idea of doing less instead of more is about less allows us to drop into the issues and the space inside of ourself where we truly are powerless. In the first step of the 12 steps of recovery, we admitted that we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable over blank. And so what I talk about in this chapter, the less, is a way of actually indirectly practicing this powerlessness. And it's a way of talking about how our brokenness in a very practical way can be a bridge and not a barrier to the freedom that we want. And so it's so deeply woven into our our way of thinking and our, our Christian worldview that when I get all of this junk fixed, not only my porn addiction, but my depression and the pain inside of me and my loneliness and uh, my, my, my stress, when all of that gets fixed, then I can be tight with God and him with me and I'll be good and this problem will go away. But it's precisely in the brokenness. That's the soil out of which real freedom grows. And that's where God wants to meet us. So big picture, this chapter in Surfing for God emphasizes uh, stillness, um, even contemplation and being present. And I'd imagine that these practices are difficult for anyone, much less someone battling an addiction. Would you agree? 
Absolutely. So much so, so that uh, the prophet Isaiah addressed this in Isaiah 30, verse 15. And it's this verse that is God inviting the Israelites to reconnect with him. Through the whole book of Isaiah, there's these cycles of God saying, here's what and who I've created you to be. And in chapter one of Isaiah, God says, all of your burnt offerings and sacrifices and trying to work your way back into my good grace, all of those things are a stench in my nostrils. Look it up, Isaiah chapter one. And for 30 chapters, there's this back and forth where they're, they're unfaithful and they're turning away with physical, spiritual, relational adultery. And in chapter 30, here's a stunning sentence. God says, okay, in repentance and rest, is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength and that's the less is more idea quietness trust repentance and rest i don't want you to come back to me and prove to me how sorry you are and offer better rams and bulls and goats or better burnt offerings i just want you to rest and if if we can turn up the volume when i do this here's what god is looking for as our healing Just this parent to a child kind of lovingly shushing, saying, it's okay, I've got you, my love has you. Now, I didn't read the last part of this verse, because if you go to the Christian bookstore, it'll say on a nice plaque that people will have in their living room, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, comma, but you would have none of it. (laughs) In other words, God is saying, I've given you this great invitation, quietness, rest, trust, uh, a, a repentance that looks like rest, but you didn't want it and you don't want it. So I want to say at the outset, and I did at the outset of the chapter through telling my own story of restlessness, that this is something we will have to fight for. We will have to fight for stillness, for an internal sense of rest. Most listeners will know Isaiah 40 or uh, Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I'm God. And for the person battling sex addiction or pornography addiction, be still and know that I'm God is often the, the most difficult commandment to obey or to align ourselves with in relation to recovery. So why then, Michael, is it crucial to face emptiness and loneliness and all kinds of other pain that we encounter on the inside? Well, I I encounter this on a daily basis where um, I don't want to be friends with myself. I I want to be friends with others, and I'm an Enneagram 2 helper giver, so I'll pick up the phone and reach out to others and care for others or check in on someone or shoot them a text and say, hey, I'm praying for you. And that that's most of the time probably true. But often I do that to avoid what's on the inside. And Blaise Pascal said that all of our human troubles can be distilled down to the single idea that we can't spend an hour alone with ourselves in a room. And so I think the chapter heading in Surfing for God is that we are terrified of being with ourselves. One of my favorite bands is Counting Crows, and they have a line from their song, Perfect Blue Buildings, off of August and Everything After from 94. And there's a line, I got to get a little oblivion, baby. How am I going to keep myself away from me? How am I going to keep myself away from me? And the song fades out got to keep myself away from me. And I think that at some level, that is 
our human experience this side of the fall is that we may want to be connected to others and God, but we don't want to be connected to ourselves because deep inside, that's where there's emptiness, pain, loneliness, and things like that. I've even heard the phrase used before that I am my own worst enemy. And at the same time, the path of redemption, too, is in this self-discovery that you talk about. Would you, would you agree that oftentimes being your own worst enemy uh, is, is counterproductive to, you know, to, to the path of freedom? Yeah, because being our own worst enemy is a way of beating ourselves up and oftentimes uh, either sabotaging ourselves or giving in to the voices of shame. And I know I'm counting, quoting a lot of musicians here today, but uh, Bruce Springsteen has off of his Magic album a line. Uh, actually, the song title is called Your Own Worst Enemy. And the line is, your own worst enemy has come to town, your own worst enemy has come to town, and the enemy is you. It's the guy that you're looking in the mirror. And so very often, yeah, and one of the ways to make friends as opposed to to make an enemy of yourself is to, as James talks about, look in the mirror and not go away and forget what we look like, but to ask the question, can I actually love the person in the mirror? With any semblance of the love, the kindness, and the gentleness, and the patience, and compassion that God has for that person. And I know most of the people I work with, and most of my life, I look in the mirror and I go, ah, I'm not so sure. And then we develop theologies, which are unbiblical. Well, it's not really biblical to love yourself. Uh, you know, that's the problem is that we love ourselves. No, actually, we must love ourselves because if we don't, we can't be present to ourselves with compassion and we will never be compassionate, kind, or loving to the people that we want to love the most. Michael, you never have to apologize for talking about your favorite uh, artists, because many of your favorites are my favorites. And I actually heard that uh, Bruce Springsteen, there's something coming up in your life uh, that would be kind of neat uh, to share with our audience. Bruce Springsteen? Yes, sir. New York City? So uh, he is uh, resurrecting his Springsteen on Broadway concert um, in 2017 and 18. I think he did 270 shows at the Walter Kerr Theater, and I did not go. Tickets were outrageously expensive. But when it was over, I said, if it ever comes back to Broadway, this two and a half hour, no intermission, no breaks show with him and his acoustic guitar, I said, I'll sell a kidney to go to that show. <laughs> so um, – Two weeks ago, uh, he he, he, he's he, no, I didn't sell a kidney. He has kind of been asked by New York to reopen New York. He is the first, uh, the first live Broadway performance in I think seventeen months because of COVID, and so uh, we snagged some tickets. And my buddy Peter, one of our board members at Restoring Soul, we are going to see Springsteen on Broadway. And um, well, it's going to yeah, be great. I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, s submit a uh, interview request uh, to Springsteen's people, and we'll see if we can get you guys uh, uh, connected. But anyway, I, I digress. Let's let's uh, get back to uh, to less is more and the podcast at hand. In the in the chapter, you talk about an, an inner sanctuary. What do you mean when you write that we can discover this inner sanctuary? Well, let me start with um, the words of King David from Psalm 27. Most people will be familiar with uh, 
Psalm 27, 1 and 2, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I've often um, said those verses over and over, memorized that psalm a long time ago. But I, I would say, God, if this is true, that you're my light, my salvation, and I don't have to fear, then how come I'm so afraid? You know, that's always the question between the belief and the experience. And I eventually came to see that the answer for that lies in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple and to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So how do we get to a place where we know that we don't have to fear and that God is our stronghold? Well, David's saying, I want to be in the temple. And I don't think he was saying that 24-7, you know, move in his chamber pot, bring his food in, bring him a change of clothes. He was going to live there. He was saying, I want to be present to you, God, in such a way so that for the rest of my life, I'm able to not just recite the Torah and the Psalms and go to the temple, but to be connected with you in this way where I'm just present with you. Now, it says the house of the Lord and the temple of the Lord. That's where he wanted to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And what is the temple of the Lord and the house of the Lord today? It's me. It's you, Brian. It's you, listener. And so think of it this way. David's saying, one thing I ask of you, Lord, this is what I seek, to dwell within myself, to be present in my own body, to be here in the moment to use a popular word, to be mindful, to not be stuck in the past, to not be caught up in the future, I'll be happy when this happens, but right here and now, I want to be present, gazing upon you. And the presence of God is within us. There is an indwelling of Christ that the New Testament unpacks over and over and over again. Colossians 1, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 1 Corinthians 2, that we are God's temple and that his spirit lives within us. And so this Psalm 27 idea of being present in our own life and gazing upon uh, the Lord, uh, this is why there is an inner sanctuary. The inner sanctuary is where God is within us in Christ and that we can access that. And so much of our way of doing Christianity in the past several centuries, and especially with modernist Western Christianity, has been a rational approach or a moral approach. We focus on what the right thing to believe is, and that's how we live our life with God. Or we try to live morally, to manage our sin, and to do the right thing. And what is neglected is 2,000 plus years of theology and practice and tradition that Christ dwells within us and our Christian life is meant to be an overflow out of that inner sanctuary. And Henry Nouwen writes it this way. Um, he says, to live a spiritual life, we must first find the courage to enter into the desert of our loneliness and to change our loneliness by gentle and persistent efforts into a garden of solitude. The movement from loneliness to solitude, Nowen writes, is the beginning of any spiritual life because it is the movement from the restless senses to the restful spirit, 
from the outward-reaching cravings to the inward-reaching search, from the fearful clinging to the fearless play. And so anybody who has struggled with an addiction and especially any compulsion with lust or pornography, they're going to really identify with that phrase, restless senses. Um, I've said this over and over and over again, Brian, but uh, both Thomas Merton and Ronald Rollheiser, spiritual writers, have spoken about how all Christian spirituality is really about what we do with the restlessness in our soul. Hmm. Great points and great quotes to take us up to the break. And then after the break, Michael, I uh, wonder if you could provide uh, some help for our listeners um, to help people really get settled. And specifically, I'm pointing to what we've talked about uh, before in previous episodes, an exercise called Centering Prayer. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. We'll be back in just a minute. You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. Welcome back to Restoring the Soul. I'm Brian Beatty, your producer, along with your host, Michael John Cusick. And as promised, uh, Michael, why don't you take us through the exercise of centering prayer that's recommended uh, to help folks uh, get really kind of settled inside their heart? Yeah, you bet. First, a couple of... uh preliminary thoughts. Why centering prayer is my recommended practice to live this less is more life is because we need a way to practice silence, solitude, and stillness. And my friend Ian Cron has said that solitude, silence, and stillness are the places where we're most likely to bump into ourselves and God. And you can't overcome an addiction unless you bump into yourself, because it's the self where the restlessness, the pain, the loneliness is, the emptiness. And bumping into God is an experiential connection. It's relational. It's not just rational. And when we enter into solitude, silence, and stillness, um, that's going to be really difficult. I don't want anybody to be misled because when we begin to turn away from our distractions, we don't just automatically step into some kind of spiritually idyllic world where peace, joy, and contentment wash over us. Um, I wish it were that easy. More often, when we unplug or step away from our technology and all the distraction of our life, it makes things harder. And I want to read as... Uh, intro to the Centering Prayer, another quote from Nowen that's in Surfing for God. He says, Entering a private room and shutting the door, therefore, does not mean that we immediately shut out all our inner doubts, anxieties, fears, bad memories, unresolved conflicts, angry feelings, and impulsive desires. On the contrary, when we have removed our outer distraction, we often find that our inner distractions manifest themselves to us in full force. We often use the outer distractions to shield ourselves from the interior noises, and this makes the discipline of solitude all the more important. 
So centering prayer becomes a way of entering our inner sanctuary, of beginning to see in the eyes of our heart that there really is this inner sanctuary that becomes a place that is already within us, but a place that we can go, like a fallout shelter. Uh, Today is song day. Bob Dylan, shelter from the storm. There is a shelter, uh, a fortress, a refuge within in our soul and in our body that we can access by being still. And so uh, I, I want to talk about just the four basic steps of centering prayer, but it's also important to, uh, to say that for listeners not familiar with centering prayer, you can Google it and find probably many websites that will tell you that centering prayer is new age, uh, that it is opening yourself up to the voice of the demonic, and nothing could be further from the truth, because all centering prayer is a practice to intentionally be still and a practice of when you are distracted, coming back to God to be present to his love. And I want to recommend a book that In Surfing for God, this is a book for people that want to go deeper with this. It's called 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God. And the author is J, the initial J, and then David Meiskins, M-U-Y-S-K-E-N-S. J. David Meiskins, 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God. And it's a beautiful way to practice this being still with devotion and instruction. So the first step in centering prayer is to simply choose a sacred word. You can call this a prayer word, but this word can be anything at all that when you think of God, this comes to mind. It might be a word that you uh, have as a reference for him, Lord, Savior, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, Abba. It could be the word peace, joy, presence, uh, dear friend. The word that uh, they have used for years now is just the word yours, yours. And the whole point of the sacred word is you're going to have this anchored on the tip of your tongue so that when you get distracted and when you notice that you've you know, gone far away in your mind or you're planning uh, your next meeting, that you can just take a deep breath and that word can come to the tip of your tongue and you can say it quietly within your heart or even out loud and just return to that place of connection. So that's all that word is for. And for me, I generally say the word Abba, which is the Aramaic word for daddy. Sometimes I will say the word Papa. And at an earlier point in my spiritual journey, I had so much shame within that I would say the word Papa and I would feel this physical reaction because I didn't feel worthy to call God Papa. But that's what Jesus says is when we pray, we should say our Father. And the word in the New Testament is Abba. The second uh, step, if the first in this practice of centering prayer is to choose the sacred word, secondly, is just to sit comfortably in a quiet place. Now, people say, can I lay down? Of course. The idea is that you're going to be uh, comfortable and kind of settled in. It's best to have your feet flat on the floor. Your hands can be in your lap or um, on the arms of the chair. And 
the point of this, as you're sitting comfortably again, is not to block out distractions, and it's certainly not to empty your mind. One of the criticisms from ultra-conservatives with uh, Centering Prayer that I've seen on some of these websites is, if you empty your mind, then you're opening it up to Satan. And I would say that um, we are called to set our minds on Christ, on things above, like Colossians 3, 1 through 2 tells us. And so this is neither to hyper-focus on God, nor is it to empty our mind. It's simply to be present to him. And we may, in the eyes of our heart, see an image of him. We may sense a presence. We might feel a light. But the sitting comfortably is just literally posturing yourself so that this can happen. The third step is that as you begin, I typically will have this word on the tip of my tongue. I'll take a breath, and I'll often say, Lord, you are always present to me, and now I'm practicing being present to you. And that phrase, practicing being present to you, is taken from Brother Lawrence's uh, 15th century book, Practicing the Presence of God. So I'll take a breath. God, you're always present to me, and now I practice being present to you. And I just settle in. I let my body relax, and the goal is not to hyper-focus or to empty, but just to be present to the presence of God. So third step, whenever you are interrupted by your thoughts, by any sounds, whether it's your own stomach growling or a person in the next room, or whenever there's any distractions, any perceptions or sensations in your body or around them, just acknowledge them and gently return your attention to the presence of God via the sacred word. So I start this, the timer on my phone is going, and I say, Abba, and 30 seconds goes by, and often it's sooner than that, and I'm planning my trip to New York City, or I'm thinking about who I have to text back today. And that goes on for three minutes, and then I realize that I've been distracted for three minutes, and instead of hitting myself on the forehead going, oh, I can't believe how unspiritual I am, I gently come to that sacred word, ah, I've been distracted, breathe, (sighs) Abba, Abba, and then I settle into that presence of being with him again. With this step of acknowledging and gently returning to the sacred word, Um, Many people who write about this in practice think about kind of being sitting in a river and you're just under the surface of the river and that our thoughts, perceptions and distractions are like boats or you could think of it as ducks that are up above you and the movement or the flickering of light by the presence of that boat or duck distracts you and you look up at it. But then you go, yes, I'm looking at it and it just goes down the river and you let it go. So this is a kind, gentle, compassionate way, rather than um, being your own worst enemy, as you said earlier, Brian, and somehow evaluating and judging this harshly, like we can't do it right. It's a way of being still, being present to God, and then being gracious with ourselves with this belief that God is just thrilled and delighted with the fact that we showed up and wanted to be with him. So at the end of this prayer period, remain in silence with your eyes closed for several minutes. 
there is an app that I use and a number of my colleagues, friends, and clients use, and it's called Centering Prayer. And if you are using iPhone or Android, you can go to the app download center and type in Centering Prayer app, and it's put together by the Center for Contemplative Living in Snowmass, Colorado. And that app has a timer on it, and you can set different sounds like a bell, a gong, a chime. You can set it for five minutes or 20 minutes. But the recommendation is that you start this formal practice for 20 minutes. Now, for some people, that's going to be too much. And I would encourage you to do it for five minutes. Of course, you can set an egg timer if you want. You just don't need it to be super jarring. Having said that, and I'll close with this story, Brian, and then we can either shut it down for the day or (laughs) you may have a question. Um, Every time I go to New York City with my friend, the first thing we do is we go to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And St. Patrick's Cathedral is one of the most hustling, bustling tourist sites in New York City. The very first time I went, they were restoring the roof and some of the inside um, buttresses. And so it was open to the public, but the whole front where the altar was was closed off. And there were jackhammers, buzz saws, drills, hammers, and construction workers uh, with with New York accents yelling and talking in all of this hustle bustle. And my friend and I sat down and for 20 minutes we did centering prayer right in the middle of New York City, in the middle of this cathedral, in the middle of the reconstruction with all of that noise. And it took some time, but about halfway through our 20-minute what we call a sit, we were actually able to kind of let go and really experience the presence of God. And I believe that that's a metaphor for how restoration happens and how freedom happens. We learn to be still and present in the midst of the life that we have by taking intentional moments and exercising the muscle of our still receptors and our solitude receptors and our silence receptors, because that's ultimately how we deal with the restlessness, not by trying to be unrestless, but by being present to the restlessness and knowing that there's a greater, deeper, true reality, which is the presence of God. Hmm. Which, you know, brings me to think about our example in Jesus in the middle of the storm on the boat, and he was calm enough to sleep And not only to sleep, but to sleep soundly and to have that peace. And I imagine that Jesus practiced the centering prayer. And many of the resources, uh, we threw a lot at people today. Um, I'm going to put the resources in the show notes, the 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God book, and then even a few episodes uh, deep in the archives of Restoring the Soul, episodes number 116 and 17, episodes you did, Michael, conversations with Brad Jersak and Peter Zaremba on Centering Prayer. Super helpful for our folks. And then also, I'll uh, try to put a link to the Centering Prayer app uh, that you can pick up in the Apple Store or Android. But Michael, are there any other resources that our listeners can access uh, via the website or anything for uh, Surfing for God in particular? 
Yeah, I'm grateful that earlier you said you were going to put into the show notes some other links, and I'd like to include in there a sermon that I gave at Denver Seminary in their chapel called Less is More. And it was a little bit more of an expansion upon this, and I think that that would be really helpful for people. And through this episode, they can just click on that. But I'm I'm very excited to introduce or reintroduce this topic because it really is how we begin to experience all that we believe about God. This is the way to connect what we believe with what we experience and therefore to bring wholeness and integration into our lives. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. Restoring the Soul.